Good morning everybody, we are starting a new series, the series is called On The Giving End and this is a three-part series in which we are going to be learning a little bit about the perspective of what it means to give stalker, which we should be something which is ingrained in us. However, I think that we need to be aware of the, uh, the impact of society around us on us and how that changes and it influences the way that we give or don't give. And so we're going to be spending a little bit of time looking at this and we're going to do three, three parts. The first today is called Guilt and Charity in the 21st Century. We're going to deal with the American way of giving. And then we're going to deal with next week, God willing, looking at the idea of a welfare state, where Judaism views the responsibility of the individual versus the government or systems of government, locally or nationally. And then we're going to spend a lot of time dealing with the more complex issue in very specific details of Ma'asar Ksafim, which we, there's a lot, a lot of specific details that need fleshing out. So we're going to start off today. I'd like to start off by first of all thanking um, Ed and Sandy Club because this series, this entire series, not just this year, but this, this series is dedicated to the yard site of Ed's father. This is the first yard site which is approaching us on Chof Dalid. Um, Chof Dalid Adar, Bezra Hashem, who was, a gra- who was a father, grandfather and great-grandfather, Mr. David Claude David C. Ben Yosef Yehuda, who was a person who built uh, built communities who, who was deeply involved and committed to his Judaism. And one aspect of that Judaism was his charity as well, which makes a lot of sense to, to connect to charity, not, in just, not just in money, but in time, energy, and commitment. Bezra Hashem, he should have a continued alias neshama. We remember him fondly on the, upon his first yard side. He should be a merit yasha for you and Sandy and time always. Let's, let, let's start with, with understanding a little bit of what's going on around us. In the year 2021, the, the reports which are still free because they sell these reports every year. So if you want to buy the 2022 report, you're welcome to. But if you want to look at the reports which are now free, you look at the 2021 report. Um, and in that, we can see that in the USA, in the United States of America, $484.85 billion were given in charity, at least recorded charity on the books. Um, and th- it is worthwhile taking a look at the breakdown of how that worked in terms of giving. What was uh, striking to me was that a vast majority of that money, 67% of it, was given by individuals. So that's, that's most of it is actually given by individuals. 19% by foundations, 9% by bequests, and, uh, and corporations giving 4% were called uh, guilt charity. <laughs> you know, the, the stuff you see that Target's doing well. Well, you know, one point fraction of your percent or Amazon is going to these things. Okay. This is, I don't know whether, where this is, I imagine that it's, it must be from, from what's available and that's tax returns, which is self-reporting. Um, but, uh, but be it as it may, um, this number by itself isn't really so helpful. Um, because if, if you take a look at the trend, if you want to look from the, if you just flip the page for a moment, for the chart that goes from 79 to t- 2019, um, you'll notice there's generally a rise in the amount of billions of dollars given in charity every year. However, you'll notice that in 2017, 18, and 19, that it's essentially flat. That's because of incorporating inflation. And so the movement, even 2019 to 2021, has been generally, although there's more money which has been given, but it's been flat in terms of the impact of that money because of inflation. But be it as it may, um, the, the, the primary, I guess, missing piece over here is context, is, is this number by itself makes very little impact because you need to ask the question is how many people are giving? How much a percent of their income are they giving? 
right? Um, th th those are the more significant questions that we need to ask ourselves and try to figure out what is really happening around us. So what we're going to do is we're going to try to break this down into a few basic questions, which is who, how, what, um, and why. Those, those are the questions that we're going to try, try to look at. And again, again there's the, the jury is open. There's a lot to talk about over here. But let's, let's start off with the, the, the very basic who. Who is giving itself? So in a, re, in a recent survey, which was done by YouGov, was pr was presented on YouGov, there is a, um, a, a chart over here which indicates that two-thirds of Americans have reported that they have donated money to charity in the past year. Uh, sorry, two-thirds of America have donated to, uh, to charitable causes organizations. That means in their lifetime. So 69% of all Americans have reported, at least in this, in this sample size, have reported having into charity. And you can see the breakdown. What's fascinating about the breakdown is, let's not go into the party affiliation, but you'll see that in the lower areas that, it's, uh, that it increases as people grow older, right? So under 30s is only 54%, 30 to 44 is 60%, 45 to 64 years is, is 73% of them have, agree, have, uh, have reported and 65% uh, 65 years and older have is an 85 percent reporting now it, that that makes a lot of sense because hopefully at some point in time people are given charity right and the longer you live the more opportunity you have to do that so that's not, no question this report is actually not we're looking at a year by year it's not saying in the past year it's saying in your lifetime so okay so we have a little bit of hope in humanity again that in in, the, in their lifetime people are given but this doesn't tell us how much it doesn't tell me how often necessarily the general the general amount that's assessed is about half of Americans have given in the last year. That's around 50%. Half of Americans have given in, in, uh, in the last year. And if you want to break down of how much they give, well, there's a chart later on on page four, which gives a sense of how much they're giving. 23% less than $99 to 14% uh, 100 to $199. And you can see the general breakdown of what the reporting is at least about giving, giving charity. Which is fascinating because if you contrast that to the Jewish halachic system, that's what we're going to try to do is what's going on around us and how does that impact the way that we give. So the, the, the Judaism works in a different, different uh, so to speak, framework. The Shulchan Aruch talks about this. This is all very explicit and accessible in our code of Jewish law, where in Source 3, the Shulchan Aruch tells us the beginning of Reish, Everybody in Judaism is required to give. This is not about class affiliation. It's not about age. It's not, it's not about where you live. Every single person, even the Shulchan Aruch is telling us, a person who's receiving tzedakah has to give tzedakah. I remember somebody said to me on Purim, I feel bad giving tzedakah because I'm receiving tzedakah. And that, and that doesn't make a difference. The, um, everybody is, is, is responsible to give tzedakah. And that means to say that even if you're taking some of the tzedakah you're getting to give, that's still a responsibility. That's what the Shulchan says. And the system of government represented in Bastin is responsible to extract that um, if, uh, if a person is not giving their tzedakah. So the responsibility of, so to speak, the governing society or community is to make sure that people are doing what they're supposed to be doing, which is that there's minimums that a person has to be contributing to, to towards the welfare of those people around us um, as well. So that's, we'll call it uh, distinction number one. Right? In, in America, it's, it's incentivized. So how, how, does, how does the American system incentivize giving? 
Tax right? So which is the tax deduction, which is fantastic. And I, I'll tell you something coming as an outsider is how surprising it is to me how, la how unwilling people are willing to give stock if there's no tax deduction. It's an amazing thing that because, because of the way that the American government has incentivized charity by giving a tax deduction, then it has become almost synonymous with giving that there has to be a tax deduction. It's become an extremely but, motivated. But, um, I just to be clear that you still are obligated to help people even if you're not getting a kickback. It just, that's just, it's just the way the Shulchan Aruch says it's the way it's always been. And it's a wonderful, it's a wonderful thing. But it's, 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 it's laudable that, that, that society has arrived at such a point to incentivize such a thing. But if somebody needs stock and they don't have a tax ID, we're still responsible to give to them. And that's something which I think we, Pavlov, in a Pavlovian way, become accustomed to. And we will, we're not willing to give money unless we're getting kickbacks from that money. And I think that that's something which needs a little bit of correction in our way of looking at things because that two have nothing to do with each other. The responsibility of giving stocker is a responsibility on all of us independent of any of the benefits or, or bells or whistles attached to it. Now, let's go to how much. So it is interesting. In a number of reports, this is going from the trending from 79 to 2019. You'll notice that of the GDP, Right, so of what, what everybody is essentially earning, the, um, tax, uh, the charity money is wavering uh, between 1.6 and 2.1% of the, the gross domestic product, okay, which is not right, always... Truma, 2%. Yeah, so that's, that's actually good. So if you look at the, the we'll call the, the tax system, the Jewish charity tax system, which we'll get to when we get to Maaser Krasafim, in the more agricultural society, it was 2% Truma, 10% Maaser, another 10% another of, of the Truma, then another 10% another which is Maaser Ani. So we'll, we'll get into, 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 the, into those details of Maaser Krasafim, but it does, seems that about 1% to 2% of, of the GDP is being given to charity, um, which is... <coughs> Which is a pretty abysmal, abysmal. If you think about the amount of money that's being earned in this country, and the amount of money that's been given to charity, on average, that's not reflecting on particular individuals or particular communities because this is j j gross domestic product. But that's a, that's a pretty abysmal. In a similar in a similar sense, the individual. Um, in, this is from the individual giving a share of the disposable income um, from 79 to 2019. Also hovers between two and two point already one point nine. Uh, 1.8 and 2.2 percent. Again, so reflecting a similar trend in terms of when you're looking at it as the individual is giving, which is, which is, if you're earning a lot of money, if you're earning an incredible amount of money, that's a very small amount of money. Uh, it, 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 it look into a lot, it looks like a lot of money, but it, it's it's not really what's uh, what's being reflected in reality. Um, and if you would look at the numbers of the re the self-reporting, this is a report done in last year in 2022 of how much is being given um, per in the last year of individuals. Um, so there is a general trend. Generally speaking, you'll notice that um, the lower the amount, uh, the more people are giving. So 99%, $99. That could be your average person, you know, living in, you know, Nebraska who gets a Wikipedia, you know, splash page saying, please donate to support our cause. It could be, you know, like I'll give, you know, $50 and that was their charity in the year. That kind of that kind of thing, and as you'll notice, that the higher the amount, the lower the percentage. Except when it gets to a thousand and more, because that's where the big givers are coming in. <coughs> Interesting enough, thirteen percent, which is that's actually uh, that, that's actually very hope, hopeful in the sense that there's a big bracket at the bottom there where people are not just giving less than a thousand, but they're actually getting involved in uh, in a much uh, in a much more significant way. Let's talk about the Torah. What does the Torah require of us? What does the Torah actually demand of us? 
So the Rambam actually has a, a set of halachas called in, in Mishnah Torah called Matnos Aniyah. The first six of those chapters on, are dedicated not to money, but they're dedicated to agricultural giving, which is where the Torah primarily talks about it, because the Torah society is primarily, predominantly agricultural. And so it talks about Maser and Peah and Lek and all those things. But in, from chapter 7 onwards is where it talks about financial giving. And in the 7th um, Perikah Alokah, the, the Ramam says, if a person comes with demands and they need an apartment and they need um, they, they need furnishing and they need all, they need so many things and you just don't have the wherewithal to be able to satiate everything that is that they need, um, you should give as much as you possibly can towards the cause that is in front of you. Come on, um, uh, until what? So, folks, I don't know. I'm not sure. I know so many people in this bracket. I do know one one person. Um, but uh, it, the, the, that it should be up to a fifth of one's assets. That's 25%. Now, we're, we're not talking, generally speaking, today we live, we live in a society where we're, we're heavily invested in, and weighed down. So we have real estate, we have investments, we have IRAs, we have all kinds of things. You know? But in those days, it was a little more hand to mouth. Right? So you earned a little bit. And you and you spent a little bit, and you got you know you did your days laboring, and then you right. So it was it was much more simple. Our, our investments were in uh, in a smaller pot in general, and so the maximum a person is allowed to give um, is is up to a fifth of one's assets. That's what's what one is expected to give. Mitzvah mina muvchar, and that that is the, the best way to do it. Ve'echad me'asara b'nechasa be'noni. One tenth is considered middle of the road. <laughs> right, folks, we should do, we should look at our books and see how how close we're getting to that. Less than that is, is, is considered stingy. A person should not, should not let, uh, detract or not give less than a third of a shekel, a silver shekel per, per year. There's an annual responsibility of a very basic amount. So the, the, the Torah seems to require a very basic minimum, which is a third of a shekel. We're not talking about a significant amount of money that everybody has to give on an annual basis, what has to, independent of anything else. But then there's those recommendations, there's brackets of giving. We'll deal with this Be'ezra Hashem in more detail when we get to Ma'asek Sofim in two weeks' time. That's when we can deal with what the Torah expects of us today in the financial society rather than in agricultural society. We can see over here that there's a much bigger responsibility and there's a basic responsibility. Basic responsibility is everybody has to give stuck. It doesn't make a difference who you are, where you're from, you have to give stuck. Then how much? That, 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 that may depend on what one's earning and how one is earning that as well. Um, so, the, the, but this differs from perhaps society over here, where only 50% of society around us is reported even giving. Right? Is reported even giving, which means to say that there's, there's a very big gap between the way society operates and the way that we are expected to be operating when it comes to halakha. John, yeah? How would you uh, adapt the statement from uh, Rambam that we should be giving no less, and every person should be giving a third of a shekel. Oh, so it depends on the, the rates of silver. So we're talking about a shekel, you can weigh it out, and I don't remember how many ounces it is, but, uh, but it's not a significant amount of money. Um, $100. I, don't, I, I don't even know if it's even that. Um, I don't remember the specifics. I, I looked at it last night. I'm sorry for, for not, not giving the, the specifics as to what it is, but we're not talking about a significant amount of money. But that's the very bare basics to, on, an, on an annual basis. It's measured on an annual basis. And then, of course, there's the brackets of uh, where we're supposed to be, which is a lot higher, moving towards 10% certainly today. Um, now, let's, 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 let's take, take a little bit more than that. So, so the, 
Um, so again, the, 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 this is in terms of I as the giver, what I'm supposed to be giving. But really, there's, there's, it's not always measured by, based on the giver. It might be measured based on the receiver as well. So meaning to say, this is saying, well, what do you want to give? Or what are you responsible to give? But then what about the person who needs? What about the needs of the person coming to you? So the, the halacha is, is in uh, the bottom of page four, the, again, the Rabbim says in halacha gimel, depending on what is deficient, you're responsible to supply, to make that gap. If they don't have clothing, you give them clothing. If they don't have the furniture in their house, you furnish them. The person does not found their, their, um, their, their um, shidduch, you try to help them. If and even if, let's say, the standard of living was somewhat of a high standard of living, and um, and you uh, and uh, and you may, perhaps you wouldn't have even lived on such high standards of living, but now they're deficient of such standards. So, for instance, when they used to go out, they used to have a runner before them. They used to have horses in front of them. They used to have a parade. You're responsible to make the, to 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 uh, to fix up that gap, to remove that gap in their life as well. Um, which means to say, it's not that you need to make a person rich, but it needs to you need to close the gap in terms of the lifestyle they had been used to as well. Which means that sometimes when we're measuring this, we're not just measuring this in terms of what I can give, but what the need is as well. Which means to say, and unfortunately, as we all know, the needs around us are huge. There's, there's so many people, there's so much deficiency, there's so much pain, and, uh, and there's many organizations addressing this. But there's so, much, there, there's so much that's missing over here. If you go and ask the Davidson Memorial Fund, how many recipients in our local community are receiving? You ask the Leon Mayer Fund, how many dist are they distributing for Pesach and Purim? And that's just the people who've, who've, been, who, who've been found um, and are, are being helped by them. This is just locally. Forget when you get to Israel right, right, right. now. We're talking about uh, the, the, the need is almost unfathomable. Yes. Um, we're talking about uh, tzedakah. It seems to be the focus on the poor individual. So when we talk, when we say charity, it's giving to an individual, or what about giving to an organization? Good, good. So, so, so this comes back to the topic we'll deal a little more next week, which is whose responsibility is it? Right, so is it, is it is an organized community effort or is it an individual effort? Because I as an individual simply cannot do that for everybody. Right, I, I don't have the funds, I don't have the space to, 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 to deal with that. So the organizations, are, which are community representative organizations, are going to be stepping into that space, which is then that we'll call the realm of what we'll call the Gabai Stocker in the city and what those Gabite stockers are supposed to be doing and how we relate to appeals, therefore, and so on, so leveraging our dollars in, in, in a greater way. So that's going to be a, an important question that we have to deal with. But in terms of just with, in, in, in a vacuum right now, just it's important to understand that there's two sides of looking at the responsibility. There's the responsibility as my, me as a giver, and there's the responsibility as the receiver. And the receiver is also dictating the need. So you don't say, oh, well, you're eating, then that's fine. Right? Oh, you've got electricity, so then it's done. It actually depends subjectively on the space that they used to live in as well and what we're supposed to fill. Now, we, the, the, the most important question I think today is the, the to whom. Who's, who's this person? Let's, let's dig a little deeper into that to whom. So this is something that, that we talked about a little while back on Shabbos. And, and there's a, there, there is a more recent phenomenon called effective altruism. EA, which is which has developed over the course of the last few decades, um, and I actually came across this first, where a young man in our shul is in an Ivy League college, and he came to me and he asked me 
about this effect of altruism. And he said, you know, he has a professor is telling him that it is morally repugnant not to be giving within the framework of effective altruism. And so what does Torah have to say about this? Which got me thinking. Um, and uh, and here's, here's what it is. Just by show of hands quickly, EA. Does anybody heard, heard of EA, effective altruism? Um, okay, so it's, it, is, it is, you missed the Joshua on Parshas Nishpatim. It's fine. We, um, that, that's, why we do, that's why we're doing this there. That's why we're doing this again. Um, the reason why this is, this, is, this is important is because we should understand that this is coloring a lot of what's happening on, around us right now. EA, there's different definitions of it because there's multiple organizations which are backing this concept. It's research, it's a movement, there's different ways of looking at it. But um, uh, as an example, these are just two websites. One's called Give What We Can, another one's called 80,000 Hours. There's many, there's many supporting organizations, but here's their definition of it. So in the Give What We Can definition, effective altruism is prioritizing our efforts when doing good so we can help others as much as we can. Does that sound good? Sounds fantastic, right? Let's go for it. So in 2012, the, 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 the term effective altruism was coined by the team members of Giving What We Can and 80,000 Hours when they founded the Center of Effective Altruism. They were looking for a phrase that describes the pursuit of finding the better ways to help others and taking action on that basis. So effective altruism has two parts, using evidence and careful reasoning to work out how we can do m the most good with our limited resources and taking action based on what we discover. Okay, so we research, we see what organizations are doing the most for the most uh -huh. and sending the money in that direction, which all sounds very laudable. And the way that 80,000 hours defines it is, there's four steps. There's prioritization. So you talk about, help, it says that, for instance, helping 100 people often makes us feel satisfied as helping 1,000, but some ways of doing good achieve dramatically more than others. Effective altruism is finding the best way to help others rather than just working to make a difference at all. Um, impartial altruism, which means you count everybody equally independent of space or place, which means that if there's a person in sub-Saharan Africa who could benefit from having mosquito nets, and the mosquito nets cost me $2, it would be morally incorrect for me to spend that $2 on somebody at a soup kitchen here in the, in the area of New York because my $2 are leveraging a bigger difference in somebody's life. They're all equal in that sense when I'm looking at sub-Saharan Africa in terms of the malaria concerns. Um, open truth-seeking effective altruism doesn't have a prior commitment to a certain cause, community, or approach, meaning let's le level the playing field. It's not that, that I have a relationship with this organization, this individual. Really, let's say, where can I best affect my, my giving? And the collaborative spirit is possible to achieve more working together by doing this require, um, effectively requires high standards of honesty, friendliness, and community perspective. So it all sounds really good. You can do a lot more reading about this topic because there's a lot on it right now. Um, and it really sounds... It really sounds quite, quite something, and you would say to yourself, this, is, um, this really sounds like something which you know, Judaism would subscribe to. Um, after, after all, oh, good, yeah? Rabbi, I mean, it depends. Like you just said, in Africa, for $2, you could feed someone whatever. New York, you couldn't do that, but does that mean they're... Oh, so, so yes, yeah, so let's, let's, let's sort of play that out a little bit over here. So we'll look, we'll look, let's look at the different aspects of this, because this is, whether we, whether we know this term or not, this is influencing the way that people are giving around us now. This is, this is generally affecting the way that people are giving. And so as an example of this, so um, like when people talk about overhead, <coughs> as an example, when you, when you talk about overhead, overhead is, overhead is seen as a toxic word, generally. It is like how much of the money in a particular charitable organization is going to overhead, which is staff, which is, which is the, the people doing things. And it's seen as the bigger the overhead, the worse it is. That's generally the way that, you, 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 that we sort of are by osmosis in society around us. It's not necessarily true. 
It's not necessarily true. Um, so just I would highly recommend um, Jeremy Schott uh, sent me in the direction of a TED talk by, ten pa a te by Dan Palauta. And it was given in 2013. It's very, very worthwhile to see the way that we treat charity differently. I'll come back to him in, in just a moment about overhead not being, a, not necessarily being the worst thing in the world. In fact, it could be something very helpful in terms of leveraging the most amount of, amounts of charity. But let's let's let, let's look at some of the aspects of uh, that, that that this affects. So first point is the background check. So effective altruism is essentially saying that you need to do a sufficient background check on every cause that comes your way, and then measure them all against each other in order to give correctly. Right. That's what that's what it's essentially saying. If you don't do that, woe upon you. Why would you, why would you waste your money um, just uh, just giving to to uh, to anything? And and does Judaism subscribe to it? The answer is somewhat, somewhat yes. So as an example, in halacha, the Rambam says in Matnos Aniyim and Perek Zayin, halacha Zayin and Ches, Ani she'ein makirin Let's say you have a poor person who comes to your door, and you don't really know who they are. And they say, and that person says, I don't have what to eat. Please, please feed me. You do not do the due diligence behind that. Lest they be a deceiver. If a person needs to eat, you feed them. You feed them. If that Aram, if that person was was unclothed, but if it's not eating. If it's about clothes, then you then you do do the, 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 the due diligence. Meaning, depending on how severe the need is in front of you. If you know them, then of course you give them even the clothing as well. And of course this applies to Jews and non-Jews alike because of Darkeshalam. But if the person comes to your door, and you don't really have the background, you don't give them a large gift. You don't give them a large gift. You give them a small gift. That there's a responsibility that everybody gets something. And so there's different ways that people do, people do this. Yossi told me a few years ago we do about, uh, about uh, putting into a particular fund where you have little coupons. It could be $5 coupons, $20 coupons, $25 coupons, $30 coupons. And you make sure to give them. You get that everybody who comes to the door has something. Everybody has something. You don't know who they are. Okay. But there's a responsibility that everybody has something. You're going to give them a big, you're going to give them a big thing. This is a sick wife. All the, all the terrible stories we hear. Right? Some people lock their door and they say, I don't want to have to deal with this. That's not the Jewish way. That's not the Jewish way at all. We have to give something. Which means to say it may mean carrying in our wallet singles. It may mean it may mean breaking down singles, just making sure we have that, so we meet meet people along the, along the way, and we give them. But there's a responsibility of giving a something, even without there being a background necessarily. And then you want you want to do more, and then and they get upset. They want more. That, that's that's not your responsibility until you have more evidence. You have a relationship. You have a context. You know that somebody knows them, and there's okay. That that that, that we understand. And sometimes it can be very difficult because people are desperate and they cry and they and they shout, and it's very hard. Uh, but the, 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 the way the Raman frames it is, 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 is necessary. Effective altruism would say that that dollar is wasted. <laughs> because really, you don't even know who they are. You don't know how much it's making a difference. And so in the end of the day, rather say that dollar and send it to sub-Saharan South Africa. And in, in a similar way, what effective altruism would essentially say in terms of the background as well, 
is 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 let's say you have a service which provides you know clowns going to the hospital room to hospital room to cheer up people that'd be a waste of money compared to trying to find a better research for cancer right so you have to sort of uh, remove we called the higher level first uh, first world first world charities as well yeah shalom remember that when you do things that affect altruism they make mistakes. Yep. And they make whoppers of mistakes. Oh, yes. They make billion dollar errors. Yes. Wasting money down the drain. Then we can talk about what they what, what some of these organizations did. Um, I don't even get, get, I want to stay away from politics, but billions of dollars are being wasted on money that would look very effective. You're right. You're right. And so, but, so Sean, you're, not perfect. you're right. So the hubris. The right. hubris that's involved in this is 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 colossal. I would just point out that that the, the general effect of effective altruism in society has been good, which means in general it's been good. Which is that let's say a person up to you know may have been you know buying their personal yacht and instead they're now actually you know funding research for future pandemics. That's a big a big change. That's billions of dollars of change. And now as opposed to a person just trying to get their name on an Ivy League gym, they're now actually pivoting it. To cancer research, that's a very good thing, right? So, and, and that's that's the effect of these these discussions that are being had in society. However, the flip side of this is it's incredibly arrogant. It's incredibly arrogant, and I'll discuss some of the arrogance that comes out of this as well. Ed, yes. We have a policy in the community of uh, getting a two dot, whether it's from the bottle or from some other. Yes. Community. How does that fit into this? Conversation? Good question. So. Actually, it turns out that it looks like over here, the Ramam is saying that still, even without a tuda, without anything, a Matana Muertes is, is, is responsible. Matana Muertes could mean one dollar, as an example. Um, and a lot of times we find these, a lot of people who come and they have outdated tuudot and all those kind of things, so they don't have a tuudah bichlal as well. And one wants to say, and one wants to say, set the policy that they should be getting a tuudah. I don't know how effective the tuda policy is in general. Just it, 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 they have to pay money. That's essentially what it is. The, the, the amount of checking is hard to to know specifically. It is some degree of checking, but it sounds like to to turn a person away is is uh, um, just willy nilly is uh, is a problem. And this is this is the one asset to this. Eva, yeah. Don't we have an obligation to first give within the community? Good. Yes. Good. Yes. A hundred percent. So let's say, so, so Eva, I want to come back to this point. This is the next step, which is is priority, right? So who, who gets, who's the hierarchy of priorities? That's what, but let's go step by step. So this is background checking. Let's talk about leveraging the dollar. Does, does Judah, does effective altruism respect us, expect us to leverage the dollar? The answer is yes, always. Meaning if, if you're giving to, uh, to, to an organization which affects a thousand people for your $100 versus 100 people, your soup kitchen here versus your, your mosquito nets in Africa, you are expected morally to give only to the biggest leveraging of your dollar. That's an effect of altruism. Judaism, the answer is yes as well, but in, in, in a more, in, in, in a less, we'll call it scientific way. So as an example, the Shulchan Aruch tells us in the Halachas at Stock and in Reish Memtes, the, that this is a very famous quotation of the Rambam, that there are eight levels of giving charity. Shmona ma'alos yeshbit stock or zulu ma'alimizu. And the Mala Gadola Sha'ain La Mala Mimeno, what's the greatest level of charity giving in, in terms of financing? It says, Hamachzik Biyad Yisrael Amach, Venoisin Le Matano, Oy Halvo, or Oise Shutfus, or Mamsi Le Malocha, Kede Lachazik, Yodosh, Lo Yistorech Labrias, or Yishal Alze, Veloishal Alze, Nemar Vechazaktaboy. The first and most basic level, well, not basic, but the most laudable level is where you don't give a person a fish. You teach them how to fish, right? So you give them the ability to be independent. In fact, I remember a number of years ago, Rabbi Feiner made the, uh, the observation to me, um, which was that the word for kindness is gamilos chasadim. It comes from the Hebrew word gamal, 
Why Gamal? Because a Gamal is essentially a self or an independent, self-sustaining creature. It can go for weeks on end of having, having, uh, having topped up with water and being able to be independent in arid um, environments. And Gimelas Chasadim is not about putting a person on an IV. It's about giving them independence so that they can, they can, they can work independently. Let me just get a little, a little bit of traction. So, however, and then it goes into the anonymity of it. Do I know? Do they know? Do we both know? One-sided and, and so on. But clearly, if, if the idea of um, over here is, is the first level of giving is to give a person a job, then there's clearly leveraging the dollar. If you put that person back on the saddle, they're going to need less stocker. So there's no question there is the importance of leveraging it. The question becomes at what cost is, the, is, is this. Hang on, let me just, let me just do a, a, little bit, a little bit further here. What about triage? So Eva, you're talking about this. So prioritization, how does it work? So it turns out I was not aware of this until I looked actually into, into this medrash. The medrash actually says it's based on the postulate that the Judaism, as with effective altruism, um, it does have a prioritization, but it's different, and that's why this is important. Effective altruism says it's an e e equal playing field. You don't look at where they come from. You don't look at any specific relationships. You simply say, who can I help the most? That's the way that, that prioritization of effective altruism. The world is a global village. Figure out where the dollar is going best. However, when it comes to Judaism, prioritization, in fact, is completely different. And this is where it's really important to appreciate it. The Pasuk tells us in, in, in Dvarim, Ki evyon. If among you you will find a person who is destitute, from among your brothers, in one of your gates, in your land, that Hashem is giving to you, do not close your hands, do not close your heart and your hand to such a person. That's what the Torah tells us, the mitzvah to open our hands to those who are poor around us. The Sifrei, which is the Midrash Halacha, points out that over here the Torah has already set up for us the levels of priority. Did you notice that in the Pasuk? It starts with Achicha, then it goes your brother, that, uh, then it goes to Ba'achad Shorecha in your gates, which means your village, your city, Ba'atzacha on your land, and then Asher Hashem and that's everywhere, which is Israel. Okay? So you'll see there's four steps of prioritization over there, and guess what it starts with, folks? It starts with family, which means to say, and this is Paskand in Shulchan Aruch, the Shulchan Aruch says um, over here, yeah, the, the, let me just see where the source is, it's source 13. <laughs> your children, you're not responsible to support anymore. Meaning to say, I understand what this means. That means if, if you have young children, that's not stalker. That's called parenting. <laughs> and that's, that's, that, that's what happens when you bring a child into the world. That's your responsibility. But let's say they are, they've gone off on their own. They're no longer your responsibility as a parent, so to speak. But you give them your support because they need help. It's very hard to survive in today's financial environment. They can't afford tuition. It's a very common thing. Let's say a person has parents. You know, the, the money, inflation, the investments are not going the way they used to. This not, only, not only can you, you say that's not stock, that's family. No, no, no. Our first responsibility at Stocker starts literally at home. And that starts with one's children, one's parents, who one's not responsible, the, the children one's already finished one's responsibility of supporting, one's parents. And he says any relative will, will, will precede anybody else. 
Um, and then it goes and describes the, 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 the prioritization within the family. And then it says, And the poor of one city are more important than the, the poor of another city. So if somebody comes from Lakewood and says, we have an organization and people that we're supporting, that's wonderful, but the prioritization starts locally. Because it, uh, it, this is where it is. And then, and, uh, and, uh, and then he, the, the Ramah goes and adds a few things, and the, but the, uh, skipping that line, And if there is a person from Israel, so let's say a person comes from Israel versus Lakewood, Israel will take precedence over Lakewood. Here, locally, we take precedence. Right, so the five towns will take precedence over Israel, but, uh, but Israel will take precedence over Lakewood in this respect here. Which comes out with a, and that's all based on that pasuk, and there's many, many details within this, Yerushalayim over other parts of Israel. But be it as it may, here's an interesting thing. Right, so uh, uh, the prioritization that the Torah is sensitizing us to is based on what? <coughs> it's based on what? It's based on, is, I'd say, proximity, essentially. Right, families are the closest approximate circle of us in terms of relationships then the people around us and in fact in Allah if you, I was going through there's a uh, the Piskei Teshuvois which is a set of Swarim developed by culinary so I'll just put out a, a, a book called Pis, Pesachim Uteshuvois on your day on Hilchus Stocker I was going through it last night and they point out that let's say even on your block there's people who are, who are, who are, who are in need they would come before the rest of the poor people in your town because proximity is a deciding factor. And the people you know would require more than the people you don't know. So which means to say it's relationship-based, which is completely at odds with effective altruism. Now, what's the logic behind that? Let's just like sort of unpack that for a second. Why is the Torah doing it in such a way? Responsibility, maybe? So we, we it could be responsible. I think, it's, I think it's more than that. I think it's more than that. I think, I think what, what, what ultimately is... Is being, I would say, is is being is being taught to us over here. Sense of community is is that is that is that it's taught, talking about this. I, I would say our sensitivity to other human beings. It we're not we're not in a vacuum. We don't live with people as numbers and crunching the most effectiveness of the, the usage of those numbers. The Torah says if you have people who you care about who are in need, that's your first responsibility. They're people, your neighbors. That's your first responsibility. It doesn't matter that there are kids in Africa right now who could use the dollar more than those. You are put in this constellation of relationships for a reason. You're here because you're a grandparent, you're a grandchild of somebody who's in need. You're a brother, cousin of this or that. That's your first responsibility. Yes, it would look more grand. And yes, I would like to have my name. No, that doesn't. That's not how it works in halacha. Achicha, sharecha, artzacha. And then to reorient us, sometimes maybe the reason I'm in this family, maybe the reason I'm in this neighborhood, maybe the reason I'm in this city is because Hashem wanted me to be here to be a conduit of giving. And yes, it's not as effective as if I went and set up a mission in Palo Alto or wherever else you want it to be. That does, it doesn't matter. That's our responsibility here. Yes. Does that mean that until... There's no more need in the neighborhood. You can't get uh, <laughs> No, no. So Baruch Hashem, they, they, you're, you're right. In ter- you're, that's a very good question. Is Baruch Hashem, we're dealing with sums of money today, that uh, we, which thank God we have at, at our fingertips in the affluent Jewish community, which can be yes and yes. There's no question, but it needs to start here. And so the priority is starting. 
Now, in terms of how we dedicate the specific amounts, there are lots of shadows and shivers about that. But yes, the people who are, who are who are supporting broadly should continue to support broadly. But that's not at the uh, that's not ignoring locally. In terms of just like the logic of the parents or the, the or, or siblings or cousins and so on, part of the reason why it's seen as more incumbent upon us is just a, there's a number of logics about this. One logic which is given is people will see that let's say you are a person of means and you have a cousin who's struggling, they are going to desist. They're going to take a step back because what do they expect? They will say, well, of course you must be supporting them. And therefore that responsibility is because of perception and the reality of what it is that you're supposed to be doing in their constellation of relationships as well. So it doesn't, it's not to preclude, but it's saying in terms of uh, uh, the hierarchy. The, the, in, in terms of this, they just to read the Sefer Avas Chesed. Who wrote Sefer Avas Chesed? The Chavetz Chaim. The Chavetz Chaim wrote so many, sorry, most people are unaware of what the Chavetz Chaim wrote. But he says this, that I'm going to read this because it's hard to read. It's hard to read. It's a footnote in Avas Chesed. He talks about the halachas of kindness. And there's many aspects. So in the, in the Perik, the second Chelek, in Perak Tezain, he writes a footnote which says, There's been new, new customs that he said, I've noticed in Radin, in Eastern, Eastern Europe. This is the top of page 9. So some people made a policy that poor people can't visit people's houses. They say, you know what? If you're going to allow in too many poor, you know, we'll call collectors to this area, the people who are locally in need will be if, uh, impacted, right? So we, that, that, that's the, let's, let's, let's look after our own first only, right? That's sort of the, uh, the opposite side of this. Those who are financially strapped today, they say you cannot have outsiders coming in. And they set up a council for those who are locally in need. It's still a big problem. It's a mistake. Does that mean to say what? Because there's people who are impoverished locally, that means that nobody else deserves anything? Right? So there's a sensitivity of, again, the relationship here. Not that they shouldn't get, but they're coming to you. How could you ignore somebody who's coming to you? Um, and, he, and therefore he goes to Nehisha and Sarech Litain, the Onyam Achser Al Psachim, Atanam Aruba, as the Rabbim says, not that you need to give them a big uh, gift. Aval, Matanam Uetes, Aloit Sarech Kol Echo, Litain, like Kamavoa Begmora, Uviradea. The Chasushon is Koradeles, Baadoi, Legamre, Vilisai Kayosai. God forbid to close the door so, uh, and, to, and to cut somebody else off just because of the sake of prioritization as well. So it's a balance, right? It's a balance of there's, there's the local needs and I need to invest in making sure the local needs, but I can't cut off the others. And I might not know them as well, but at least the Matana Mu'etas or something. If somebody comes to us, if somebody's in front of us, and this is so hard, it's so challenging emotionally, it's so hard um, on many levels, but ultimately we have a responsibility. We have a responsibility to, to, to address that deed that stands in front of us as well. Now, I wanted to take it one step further, and um, I just want to see that. Yes. Oh, pro, oh, and and this, this comes down to one last piece in this, which I, I, I skipped which is process or result. In effective altruism, it's always about the result, right? It's always about the result. So you choose the more impactful way to, to give. In Judaism, um, it actually relates to the giving itself. So the, the mission in Avos tells us that um, the last phrase of this mission in Perak Gimel, uh, Mishnah Tesvav, is I call the fear of Everything is dependent on 
how my, uh, the action or lots of action. And the Rambam says the famous dilemma that a person has, is faced with, where a person is, is, has a thousand dollars to give, do they give it to a thousand people or to one person? Do you get this person out of their trough? Or do, you, or do you give you know, a sprinkling of $1,000? Now, it's an unfair question because you could really say, I'll give $100 to 10 people or $50 to 20 people, right? So there's gray, right? It's, it's no, these questions are not always, but in the philosophical realm of extremes, so which is, which is, which is the preferable way? And the Ramam essentially a says, givings. a thousand givings because the because giving, says the Ramam, is about how call the fear of says through action. Actions impact us. If you want to be a giver, you want to be the go-giver, you want to train yourself, and therefore it's about us giving more than it is about the result, which I think is one of the prime differences of effective altruism. Going back to the hubris and the danger of effective altruism, as much good as it's done and it will continue to do, it's now moving into the absurd. So just to give you a sense of what the absurd means, is if you start reading about this, who says that maybe the most effective altruism is even, in, even that child in sub-Saharan South Africa, uh, Africa who needs the mosquito net? Because ultimately, you know, there are future people, there are many future millions of people who will die more than the people living now if we don't start researching futures of protection from future pand pandemics. That sounds reasonable, right? Meaning, 250 million people died of pandemics in the last so many years, and we know that, there, that there's going to be many more in the future pandemics, so let's invest billions, not now for solving cancer, but let's, let's, let's try to figure out the future. But that, that sounds somewhat reasonable then, but what, what about, what about um, meteorites hitting the earth? This is what's called long-termism, right? Or the effective use of AI. Um, uh, billions and billions of dollars are being pumped into these because they are seen to leverage much more to save lives of millions of people in the future. And that's where effective algorithms, so to speak, goes off the rails because the moral imperative, without any tradition to guard it or to steward it, leads us down a very dark road to the future. Whereas Judaism doesn't talk about the future. The Judaism talks about the person who's knocking on your door right now. And, and there's, there's something serendipitous about the way that I have to interact with the people around me. There's something about my constellation of relationships which is more impactful. I call the firova ma'asen, not the result necessarily, which is important to be aware of. And so as we see these trends moving around us in society, it's important to, to move away from them. Just one last comment over here now as we move <coughs> to the last piece over here. And that is, is why does that people give? So I, I, I referenced this before that Dan Palauta or Pelata has gave a TED talk in 2013 about the topic was called the way we think about charity is dead wrong. And he points out in this TED talk, which I highly recommend people would, uh, ta uh, would uh, take a moment to, uh, it's, it's, on the sh it's on the sheet here. Yeah? Um, I would highly, highly recommend that people um, take a look at, to, to listen to this. He points out that in general, in the non-for-profit sector, um, we, the society around us has, um, has limited the way we look at charity, limited the way that will clip the wings of non-for-profit organizations doing the best they can. So as an example, just in terms of, just in terms of the actual amount of, um, of money that, that professionals earn in the non-for-profit sector versus in the profit sector. So like, you know, a, his example is, is that imagine that you have a fellow who's a, a CEO of a large non-for-profit and let's say he's going to make a, you know, $150,000, $180,000 the peak of his career in this non-for-profit and he'll get criticized every two minutes about that. Um, but and he is parallel, you know, graduate of an MBA or an MPA in his case, were, were, were at the same age in the mid-30s would be earning $400,000. And so $450,000, that, that's the, the, the margin of difference, which means you're giving up $250,000 a year, essentially, by going into the non-for-profit. So who, first of all, will go into this? It would be more worthwhile for me to go into business 
and then on an annual basis give $100,000 of my money into charity, which still make, puts me ahead of the fellow who's doing that, become the chairman of the board to boss around that fellow, right, who altruistically went into the non-for-profits, and get a, a, a steady stream of accolades and names and, and honors for the rest of the career, moving from chairman of the board, chairman of the board to other things, because it's more worth it to be in the for-profit sector. And he points out that in the non-for-profit sector, you can't take risks, you can't do advertising. So like, let's say, let's say you know, Disney decided to spend $250 million on a particular project and it, and it failed. There's no like people picketing outside and putting blown up rats and articles being, it, it was their money. That's, you try things, they don't, in the non-for-profit sector, if anything doesn't work out exactly, then the entire organization is tarred and feathered publicly because they took a risk to try to, they tried to do something to get to leverage more money. Advertising, I don't want to spend my, my, my money in advertising. Why should, why should a non-for-profit be spending money on advertising? The answer is, well, in the for-profit sector, you spend on my advertising because what? Guess what? Advertising works. <laughs> it brings in more people. So you want to bring in more people, why are you not spending on advertising? Overhead, he's, he, was talk, he was talking about. There he says, overhead. He says, well, yeah, so people will say the bank sale is better because there's no overhead rather than a, than a non-for-profit which has got 40% overhead. Well, he says, well, let me tell you a little secret. The bank sale is making you $73. He says my, the, the organization which, which he used to run, which was, which was the research for breast cancer, um, uh, had a 40% overhead and netted $71 million in a year. Which means to say, it may be that you need the overhead to do that. Right? You need to pay a lot to get a lot. How do you scale outwards? And he was pointing out that society around us is essentially biased against non-for-profits, which is why the amount of non-for-profits in the last 40 years has not increased, right? Dramatically compared to the for-profit organizations around us. And his argument is the following. This is the philosophy, and this is something we should be aware of because it impacts the way that people give today. And this is to quote his words. Um, um, to, on the, on the, the, the last page over here, as we move towards the end, um, this is an emboldened section. He says, I, I highly recommend reading the rest of this or learning the rest of this. He says, well, why, so why do we think the, this, this way? Well, like most fanatical dogma in America, these ideas come from old Puritan beliefs. The Puritans came here for religious reasons, or so they said, but they also came here because they wanted to make a lot of money. They were pious people, but they were also aggressive capitalists, and they were accused of extreme forms of profit-making tendencies compared to other colonists. But at the same time, the Puritans were Calvinists, so they were taught literally to hate themselves. They were taught that self-interest was a raging sea. That, uh, sorry. That, that self-interest was a raging sea that was a sure path to eternal damnation. This created a real problem for these people. Here they've come all this way across, uh, across the Atlantic to make all this money, but making all this money will send you directly to hell. So what, so what do they do about it? Well, charity became the answer. It became this economic sanctuary where they could do penance for their profit-making tendencies at five cents on the dollar. So of course, how could you make money in charity if charity was your penance for money-making? That's his observation. Now, this, this is broad strokes. This is general. There were more than just Puritans who came across to this country. But essentially what he's saying is, is charity is viewed in the profit-making capitalistic world as a way of saying sorry for making a lot of money. And he says, you can't grow that if it's just your way of divesting of guilt. And that's a very important way of realization. If charity is just the dog, the bone I'm throwing to the dog so that I can feel good about what I'm making, then there's something wrong with the system. And he's saying that's what we're dealing with here, which is why the non-for-profit sector is not allowed to scale upwards. You can't scale the amount of giving in the most effective ways today. And every time it's, it's, he was talking about his organization, which was shut down by these do-gooders who said, wait a second, you've got so much overhead. They shut down overnight, fired 350 employees. They tried to do the, the, the walk for cancer the next, day, the next year, and it failed. Because you don't have overhead, it doesn't work. 
Right? If you don't have people, you don't have professionalism, it doesn't work. You know, the, the Shulchan Aruch says, in, in the Halachas of Shulchan Aruch, he says, We don't give because of guilt. Judaism is not about paying off a feeling inside. Judaism is being like HaKadosh Baruch And therefore it's important to realize the osmosis of these values in society around us, which sometimes bring great giving, but it's not what we're supposed to be doing. We're supposed to be doing more than that. It's about being like Valachta Bidrachov. And in fact, just to appreciate this, in just a recent research I read, the American Jewish community, in fact, gives more than any other group in America per capita. It is, it is the most advanced in all of the groups in, in America. And the statistics are, the statistics are that, um, that uh, it's the second paragraph in Source 21, the report goes on to say that an overall, uh, overall, a larger percentage of Jews give to charity than people of other faiths. 70% in 2012 compared to 63% of, of other Americans. That's something to be proud of. That's because of society which is saturated by these values. But it's important not to lose sense because the more we become American, the more we gravitate towards the ideals of effective altruism, of this, this Puritan view of, of giving, which is not the way we're going. I'm going to end with a story because it's such a powerful, it's such an incredibly powerful story as well. This is a story which occurred to the, the Siach Yisrach of Yampoli, who was Rav Eliezer Chaim Rabinowitz. He was a, he was a, the, a, 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 a Admor who came over to America in the late 1800s. He passed away in 1916. He's buried here in Cypress Hills. And this Rebbe, had the following story occur to him when you're still in Eastern Europe. And this is, this is the most remarkable story which, will, which changed my life. So here's, here's how it goes. Um, this fellow comes to him and he says, he says Rebbe, he says, I don't, have tr I don't have shoes for my children. I don't have food in the pantry. I don't have, wa I don't have ra running water. Rebbe, what am I supposed to do? So Rebbe says, I, I don't know. What, what, what do you want me to do? So he says, Rebbe, there's a weekly lottery in our town here. He says, he says I'm going to give you a slip of paper and I want you to write down for me the six numbers. So the, Re the Rebbe looks at him, looks at the piece of paper, he takes the paper, he writes down six numbers and he gives it back to this fellow. And lo and behold, that Motsai Shabbos, the numbers come out, and guess what? Number for number, this man has won the town lottery. Amazing people, this is a real story. People, people were shocked, they were amazed, and they had lots of questions. And the one person who also had a lot of questions was the Rebbetson. And she turned to, she turned to her husband, she says, she, she says, you know, I don't know if recently you've been looking in the pantry. I don't know if recently you've been looking at our children's feet. I don't know if recently you've been noticing the, the repair of our front door. But in the end of the day, if you had these numbers, why are you giving it to him? <laughs> right. right? That was the question she asked him. A very rational question. So he said, I want to ask you a question. He said, you know, um, who's the richest man in town in our, in our little uh, shtetl? And so she thinks, she says, you know, Yanko on the hill, the big house, maybe, maybe he's, the, he's, the, he's the richest man in town. He says, no. So she gives another few guesses, nope. He says, I'll tell you who the richest man in town is. He says, the richest man in town is the mailman. She says, what do you mean? He says, every day in his satchel, he carries thousands upon thousands of rubles. She says, yeah, but that's, that's not his. He's, he's just giving out paychecks. And he says, I'm the mailman. And what he was essentially saying was, and this is a very, very important idea to absorb and to digest, is that sometimes we're the mailman. Sometimes we have good, not because of us. Sometimes we have good because we're meant to be delivering it as well. And the way that Judaism conceptualizes giving is very different to guilt giving, effective giving. 
It's about what HaKadosh Baruch Hu wants us to be like Him in the circumstances, relationships and complexity of the lives that He put us. That's a very far cry from society around us. Yes, society is doing good and we have the most benevolent society that perhaps ever existed in human history, but it's still not Judaism. And Judaism demands more sensitivity than that from us. So Be'ezrei Hashem, what we're going to do is we're going to move now to government system of governments and systems of responsibility and organizations next week. Be'ezrei Hashem, thank you everybody for taking the time to be here.